everybody welcome to episode 101 of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling in southern oregon um episode 100 was a success time to get another 100 bro let's get it i'm ready to uh let's just jump right in all right because the blazers surprise surprise actually played consistent basketball over the past week in which they knocked off uh, the Atlanta Hawks 110-89 back on Friday and then followed that up with a dramatic uh, 111-110 come from behind victory over the San Antonio Spurs. I saw a crazy ass stat um, on Twitter today from uh, the Elias Sports Bureau that I think of the 44 or 43 times that the San Antonio Spurs had hun- that um, they had scored 110 plus points, they'd only lost one time. I mean, you can add one more to that. So that is incredible that Portland was able to beat San Antonio at a game that statistically and historically, they do not lose. Mm -hmm. And yes, the Spurs were without Tony Parker, but really they've been out. They've been without Tony Parker for the last three or four years. Uh, Tony Parker is not the same Tony Parker that uh, took the NBA by storm in the early 2000s and led them to titles uh, throughout that decade. Kawhi Leonard, as you mentioned, was out. Danny Green was out. But our franchise player, Damian Lillard, was sidelined as well. It appears that he was overcompensating for his hamstring and now strained his calf on that same uh, right leg. He has been uh, he has been ruled officially out for tomorrow night's game in Oklahoma City um, against the Thunder, which kicks off a four-game road trip for the Trailblazers. It starts in Oklahoma City, a back-to-back in Houston, uh, Friday against your Pelicans in the Crescent City, and they finish the trip up Sunday in Minnesota to take on the Timberwolves. Sage, to date, this is the toughest road trip the Trailblazers have faced, and they're looking at going about it without their franchise player. I have to think if they're going to hold him out, and they're already ruling him out for Oklahoma City, I don't know how much better that calf's going to get. Yeah, I'm, I'm just assuming he's gone for this roadie. Honestly, risk yeah, it. like, who gives a shit about the 7th or 8th seed, which we will lose anyway? It's going to be shit. Like, I'd rather worry about the franchise player's long-term health, because he's signed on, he's under contract for a few more years, like three or four more years, so it's... He's through 2021. It's long-term instead of short-term. I know, I mean, I'd rather get what I want now. But, you know, you got to think, we got three more years of this guy. Let's protect him. This year might not be our year. Ooh, I misspoke on that stat real quickly. So according to the Elias Sports Bureau, San Antonio had won 143 of its previous 144 games in regulation where they scored at least 110 dating back to March of 2011. Shout out to my guy, Casey Holdall, for that tweet. I knew there was a 43 and a 44 there. I just left off a digit. That makes that win even more impressive. So they did it without Dame. Can they do it on the road? I mean, they've they've shown they can win on the road this year. 
can they sustain and stay above water? Because we all pointed out through this stretch, even when the schedule first jumped off, that this was going to be where Portland had to manage at least one win. You can't get skunked on this one. Yeah, it's where you're... It's sink or swim right now. And unfortunately, we don't have our best player. So it's time for the team to be as cohesive as humanly possible and try and get one. Of the four, which seems most likely New Orleans. Orleans, Even though they gave Portland fits twice in Portland already, and they really did it without Anthony Davis either time. Once we predict the games, I'll tell you, it's weird. If you gave me the, if you let me design the team that can beat New Orleans, Blazers are not it. But because Dame's out, that ha- we have to change up our whole scheme. And with that, I think they have a better chance, just because of the scheme. And New- I mean, we'll talk about New Orleans. It's just scheme based, just because we have to work around some stuff and take advantage of some things that New Orleans is bad at. That's the that's the one. So back to the San Antonio game, and I was per- in particularly very happy with how Portland fought back, and I thought it was going to be another game where uh, the opposition was without their superstar player, and we were going to not take advantage. I, I don't care if we were without Damian Lillard. This team has shown they have more than enough talent to make up for it on any given night. You're also at home. You should be expected to protect that home court, and which the Trailblazers have not done this year. So I was happy to see that they've they've kind of ran that record closer to 500. In fact, they are at even 500, 10 and 10 on the road, 21 and 18 on the season. But it's a catch 22 when we're talking about Damian Lillard. And I mean that in the sense that Portland, we've said since the jump with this when this roster was constructed, there are too many good average C plus above but, average yeah. C plus B minus guys. There's too many of them. There's not enough A A plus guys like Damian. Shit, Lord. a B plus. I take a B plus. As would I, and I don't think we have enough of those. Nah. And what happens is guys get left in and out of the rotation. We talked last week about Noah Vonley and the Blazers being 8-3 and three when he plays 20 or more minutes a night. Uh, we talk about a guy like Mo Harkless, mm-hmm. who was left for dead, saves us in Los Angeles uh, against the Lakers, I think on December 23rd, and he has another huge night uh, tonight off the bench, 24 minutes played, 19 points, 3 of 4 from downtown, 7 of 10 overall, 5 boards, 2 blocks, 1 steal, a menace in traffic. And he looks like the guy that we gave that big contract the to. The glue guy that the the guy that we expected to be our glue guy. And then you've got a guy like Shabazz Napier who was taking the league by surprise a little bit. You know, he was LeBron's pick in Miami. He floated around to Orlando. Portland got him for pennies on the dollar, similar to Maurice Harkless, and he plays extremely well. Uh it started in that Orlando game at home where it was that three guard lineup. He kind of ebbed and flowed his way through through minutes. Dame goes out, minutes go up, Dame comes back, and we don't see a whole lot of Shabazz Napier. And Dame obviously out for the game against San Antonio. Shabazz was the glue to that. He had um, 15 points on an amazingly efficient 7 of 9 shooting, uh, 7 dimes, 2 steals, a block, 5 boards, 
the some of the plays that he was finishing around the rim were very Lillard like, mm. and they left you speechless. And there was a few crossovers that I think against Brian Forbes, where he just took advantage of. I mean that no name ass player. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but it's nice seeing Evan Turner not play a lot of minutes. He had 24 on the night. It was a decent night for him, eight points, but he only had one assist. He only had one rebound. And he took nine shots to get those eight points. And so we talk about guys, there's only one basketball, there's only so many minutes, there's only five positions, there's only 48 minutes. Portland right now could probably play 11 to 12 guys, but that does nobody really any good. We've even seen Myers have some bright spots this year. But I think when Lillard comes back, a couple of things have to happen. I think Shabazz Napier needs to see his time stay steady. Third guard? uh, Quality minutes? Fourth guard? I would argue third best player minutes. Portland has to find a way to get him on the floor because I would say that he's not our third best player talent-wise on this roster. I mean, I think that that's that's pretty clear. But performance-wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. given his given his sample, Dame's obviously one. I think on certain nights, CJ's been two. On certain nights, Yusuf's been two. On certain nights, they've been four. Mm-hmm. Shabazz has just been a solid, firm three. And he's honestly moving up the ranks. I mean, had CJ, you know, not hit that game winner... Um, and he, CJ did put together a, a brilliant performance, uh, seven assists, five boards. His assists have gone up, especially after we kind of talked about that. T- we talked about that Chicago performance where he missed Nurk a couple times late. He's been upping his assists and I think playing well within the offense. He had 25 points, does need to get to the line more often, which another day. I another, mean, like he topic. averages two a game, three a game. It, it's, it, exactly. it, it's insane that I want to call him a star or a superstar type talent. Gets to line three times. That's that's so. That's disappointing. He has the ball. But he in his, does it. He does go to the basket. But, it's, it, but he does the floater. He kind of avoids contact. This kind of like talking positive about Shabazz. Let's say he is in the best possible situation, and it could be argued that San Antonio might be that. What type of tier of player do you think he could be with Pop coaching him? What do you mean tier? Because I, I was thinking like the Darren Collison level of like $10 million he's, guy. He's a, he's a, he's a, I think his ceiling is higher than what Darren Collison ever, ever produced. Hmm. Maybe. I, I just have that good one year of him. But Yeah, he just had one year. Like Shabazz is young. He has... A winning pedigree. He led his team, uh, the Connecticut Huskies. I think they came pretty much from nowhere to win yeah, the national like championship. Yeah, they were like an or something. They were really low, and he's given opportunity to shine, and he really runs that offense. I feel like he. I feel like the team doesn't freak out when Dame's not on the court or when Dame's not playing, because Shabazz has proven himself time and time again over the course of this season that he doesn't panic, Sage. He's not turning the ball over. He's not making stupid mistakes. He's not taking bad shots. I think of all of our guards, Shabazz Napier's shot selection has been probably the best. I mean, there are times when he does, you know, when he hasn't touched it in a while and he'll just get it and shoot. Other than the five minutes of the Laker game without Dame, I totally and completely agree with you. But those five minutes, I remember those five minutes as being 
you better chill. But other than that, I mean, like, as a third guard, I mean, that's his role right now. That's pretty damn good. But, like, you, so you think he's more than a $10 million player? I mean, I, I sure hope not. But if he continues at this level of play, he's going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, there aren't a lot of job openings, mm-hmm. if you catch my drift. As a starting point guard in the NBA, point guard is probably the most uh, the deepest, the deepest crop of positions in the game, and I I would be really pissed off if because of past mistakes to Myers, Evan, Maurice, you know, even Alan Crab, that we're, we're we're at the point where we're saying no, we're gonna have to let guys go, and I think of all of the players that I just mentioned. Shabazz right now has outperformed what any of them had done during their careers. He has shown more than Maurice ever did, than Evan ever did, than Allen ever did. So I'm really, obviously, I'm really, really high on Napier. I think he could be our version of Patty Mills, where if Dame gets hurt, the system keeps on humming. Or if you need a spark plug off the bench to play 24 minutes a night, he's he's the guy that's going to get you 15 a night off the bench. Like, we've been looking for that guy. We finally have him. Are we going to let him go over some luxury tax when we have the, the richest owner in, in the NBA? Yes, the season may not be where we want it, but the, the fact of the matter is we're not going to get any better by trying to cut salary and letting the one handful of bright spots leave. Just up and leave. So I'm definitely on team sign Shabazz. Obviously, I realize you can't max him. You can't pay him $15 million a year. I'm completely aware of that. But I think you have to give him something reasonable because the franchise has put so much stress and pressure and minutes on Mr. Lillard that Things like these are going to start popping up over the course of his career. Like he's going to start getting, you know, bangs and bruises and missing games here and there. You need someone to be able to back him up. I mean, what are NFL teams without a backup quarterback? I mean, we just saw the national championship game where a backup quarterback came in and won the game for Alabama because they had a five star, you know, on the bench ready to go. When you have the most important player for your team, which is that point guard, you have to make sure there's some sort of insurance policy. And you know what, Sage? Insurance costs money. Mm-hmm. Is there like a maximum you're willing to pay him? I mean, it's not my money. I think you have to be fair and realistic with the market value. You can't let some team Allen crab him. And if they do that, you have to say, you know, congratulations on the huge payday, Shabazz, and thank you for your services. But we're going to have to let you go. But I think he's worth 10 to 11 mil. And I think you have to be smart. And like we talked about last week's episode, you're just going to have to write the ship with guys like Maurice, Myers, and Evan. You're going to have to play off their contracts. The last thing you should do is put a pick on it. Just let that shit sit because that's how you get out from underneath these contracts. You make mistakes. Don't compound that mistakes. You've always talked about sunk costs on, on this on this podcast. Don't compound it by attaching a pick. Just let that shit slide. Take a couple of years. And you know what? They don't have to play. I mean, yeah, they can count against the books, but that's just going to have to be a check that Mr. Allen's going to have to be ready to write. 
because I feel like Portland right now, we're, we're fighting for, for the playoffs right now. And we're extremely lucky. The Clippers have had major injury issues. The same with the Utah Jazz and even that Gordon Hayward left Utah. Otherwise, right now, we might be on the outside looking in. But as it stands, we're in, I think I could see us finishing anywhere between fourth and ninth. Like, it, it's that it's that wide yeah, open. Yeah, it's very fluid. And for, for Portland, you don't have the luxury of saying, ooh, Jonathan Simmons, we're going to have to let you go because we're the San Antonio Spurs and we know we're going to be a top three seed. We're not that. We don't have that tradition yet. We don't have that culture you know, of, like players doing anything we don't have we don't have that system mm-hmm. we're not pop we need to we need some winners and paul allen wants to win and it sucks that he's gonna have to pay tax but that's the guy you put in charge he made those moves and you signed off on those checks and if rumors are true you push to re-up allen crab so that to me shows neil Olshay's job is probably safe for a while because if, if he's in on all of these deals and he's he's given the green light that means he's had a lot of sway. When you're an owner of an NBA team and you're the one writing those checks, you definitely have a say on what what uh, gets greenlit and what doesn't. Absolutely. What What do you think Shabazz will get? I mean that that was that's my absolute max, but I want to know who who's available. I'd say seven to. 10 i guess yeah i think that's where it's gonna land seven to ten yeah like if it if it's a if it's like a i don't know i if i was a gm i wouldn't want him to be my starting point guard if i was competing i'd want him to be my super six or like a he is, like a third guard he, off the bench he is a luxury and a luxury that portland needs because our best player happens to be at that same position I also think that if down the road, if things start to, you know, not play out as they will, you can play Dame and Shabazz together and see maybe what CJ can fetch you on the open market because Shabazz can get buckets. He's not the player or caliber player of CJ, but he's he's not that far behind. And and teams are always looking for a backup point guard. And if, if we have a fucking confident third a a backup point guard not the worst thing in the world to have but these these are going to be some decisions that neil olshay is going to have to make absolutely and you look at a guy like pat Connaughton who has impressed the fucking hell out of me this year i was ready to write him off send him packing back to notre dame tell him to go pitch for the baltimore orioles and uh wish him good luck you know after his summer league performance but I, I can't continue to, or I I can't seem to sing his praises enough. The he's putting the ball on the floor. He is driving dunk in the in the first uh, I think quarter of that San Antonio game was a huge you know you usually say red flag for for you know like caution that was a huge green flag like money because if he can start putting that down and start checking that box off. He's already a, a great cutter. He's a great guy who moves without the basketball. His catch and shoot is looking fantastic. But if he can put the ball on the floor, something that Alan Crabb really never mastered and a lot of two guards really can't do, that's a, a, a viable asset. Because if you can create your own shot, you raise your cost. And Pat's another guy that I think is more of a luxury to have than uh, Shabazz Napier. But... I've been extremely impressed with um, Pat and 
am just hoping his price tag isn't too high. Isn't because don't we have I'm, one more year I, of cost controlled? No, Pat Con. Oh, he was he was a second round pick, so he's oh he's yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I don't know. Like I hear you saying all this important stuff about Shabazz, and I agree, but Pat has played some really good ball. We need that third shooter. So, dependent on cost and stuff, because I bet we could find, like, another Anthony Morrow or something, but I liked having a guard that can cut, shoot, doesn't stop moving. That that type of stuff is very valuable, and if he can be, you know, retained at a team-friendly deal, I would love to keep him. And then you've got my boo, Noah Vonley, who for whatever reason is racking up DMPs like nobody's business. I have to think that it has to do with one, getting Zach Collins playing time, two, showcasing Ed Davis as an expiring contract, and three, to keep Noah's value limited on the open market because he is a restricted free agent. Right now, his value can't be super high, but I think Vonley is a guy that he if he leaves and goes to the right system... Blazer fans are gonna oh they're gonna be, be kick- they're gonna be so upset they're gonna be pissed off because like why didn't he do that there or why is he playing so much better it's all about opportunity and frankly when he's had time as we mentioned twenty plus minutes Blazers are eight and three last year fourteen and six with him starting alongside Nurkic he produces and he's only getting better but you have to get those reps Sage and, and I mean like if he's in the right system for him like if he's smart with his free agency. Dog, he could he could be a very nice player. I mean, like again, the comp was Buck Williams, who's like, dog. In this day and age, a lot of teams would love to have a Buck Williams type of player. I was gonna say, do you see Portland as a buyer or a seller at the market? Because according to uh, Woj in his latest piece for ESPN, they're looking for wings. He, he says Detroit. NOLA, New York, and Portland are a few of the teams most interested in upgrades, but the true list is much longer. There's no doubt in my mind that the 3 and D wings, the guys who can put the ball on the floor, uh, 6-7 with length, pure shooters, those guys are getting harder and harder to come by. Absolutely. And they're at a premium. Of course, Portland would like to acquire someone like that, but Sage one. Do you think we're a buyer or a seller? And two, who's 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 on the list? I mean, you obviously have to have someone on the block. I mean, it takes some bait to catch what you're, you know, fishing for, right? If Dame's healthy, I bet we are buyers. If he's if we shut him down, we could possibly we're not, be selling. We're not shutting him down. I don't think it's a serious injury. All right. Well, I mean, I think they need to. I think they need to take time with it, but I don't think it's something where it's he's going to be out for a month at a time. It's not a Mike Conley injury. No, I, I, I'm not under that impression. I bet we're buyers. What do you think is more important, a a guy on a one year, or could the Blazers swing and get a guy who has a multiple year contract? Well, it depends. Is the multiple year contract cost friendly? Because if it is, you want to jump on that deal, and then you're able to maybe feel a little bit better about letting one of your free agents go because you know you've got that guy locked up. My problem with with going after guys who either have a team option, a player option, or who are straight unrestricted is they're going to get paid next year 
and we already have free agents. We're already going to be pushing the luxury tax. Now you're adding in another guy that's going to bump up the the value. Um, he'd have to blow everyone's you know socks off for us to really want to retain him. So it, that seems to me like a really high risk prop proposition. What if it's more we're, like we're just trying to buy your services for this year? I don't. I don't think that would be a smart long term plan for Portland because we're we're not a team like Houston. We're not even a team like Boston that has a puncher's chance at making the conference or NBA finals. But what if we're not there yet? What if just it, making it the the playoffs is the goal? No, that better not be the goal. When you have Dame and CJ going into their fifth and sixth years respectively, you've got um, what we thought was a budding star in Nurkic. Just making the playoffs cannot be the goal. Like we we've been there, done that too many times. It's got to be getting into the second round. It's got to be pushing a series to six or seven in the second round. Um, it's got to be possibly getting to the conference finals. Like you have to. I'm trying to think of it this way. Like we all make New Year's resolutions. Mine was to run 365 miles in one year. Didn't do it in 2015. Okay, I'm going to do it again. Didn't do it in 2016. I did it this past year. I'm not just going to be like, ooh, I was just happy with that. Let's keep that goal the same. No, it's going to up it up 10%. Portland made the playoffs last year as the eighth seed. I think they need to look a little bit bigger and a little bit brighter because that's been what the fourth, I think outside of that, the Dame, LaMarcus, um, Rolo West that year where Dame hit hit that shot against Houston. Outside of that, we've really been in the not the upper tier uh, of the West, but that middle tier. We haven't really made any sort of noise. And yes, I know the the injuries to Paul and Blake were of assistance in moving to the second round um, a couple of years ago. But aside from that, nobody's really feared us, and I think we're more than one player away to being feared. I mean, we we just have a few parts that we need to to add, and I think. The way this roster is currently constructed, one, there's no way Paul Allen is going to go for a full-out rebuild, not with Dame and CJ on the deals that they are right now. That's not my immediate take. Maybe it happens in a year or two. But right now, I think they need to start almost doing what they did when they got good in 2014. It's kind of piece by piece it together. Ooh, Robin Lopez is on the, on the market. Let's get him for cheap. So I think if Neil can get back to his shrewdness, just the almost the diamonds in the rough type type of moves, the moves that got us Maurice Harkless at first and now Shabazz Napier. More of those, less of the Evan Turner Mo- and Myers Honor deals. Like, so it, it's it, it, with Neil, it's almost like you don't know what kind of move you're going to get because he's, he's either boom home run or it's like, fuck, I wish we would have just struck out instead of trying, you know, Instead of trying to hit that that grand slam, how would you feel about us getting a guy like Damari Carroll at the trade deadline? What's his contract look like? I think it's a one year. That's what I was looking right. Uh, no, he's got to have more time than that on it. You don't want to know how badly I misspelled Damari. No, he's got one year after this. So, would how would you feel about a Damari Carroll on a two year deal? Well, a one-year deal, really. One and a half. Okay, one and a half deal. Uh, depends who we give up. Can we give up a longer contract? 
do we do we have to give up a pick? I mean, because I'm all I think Portland needs to keep those picks, treat those like gold, unless you're getting a, a Demarcus Cousins type of you know player coming back. Where that's that's a big impact. Neil Olshay keeps talking about needle movers. That's a needle mover. Damari Carroll barely kind of shakes the ground. I mean, it's it helps, but it's not like it's a mini quake. I, I don't know. Aftershock. I don't know how many of those like booming small forwards would be available at the deadline, though. I mean, if there is, P- Portland should definitely go after it. But, like... Well, I don't think we have assets to go after someone like that. I'm just saying that that's why I would keep the pick. I wouldn't move a pick for a guy that's not gonna make a splash. I, I see if you can wheel and deal. Can you maybe... Can you get out from underneath Maurice Harkless's contract if he continues to play like this? Can you look at a guy like Ed Davis and package him with, you know, some, some something else? Can you maybe move a couple of second rounders? Like, um, I don't know how attached they are to Caleb Swanigan. I would be very surprised if they moved him. He's played very well in the G League and it'd be really, I think, premature to move him. Unless, again, you're getting a guy like Marcus Old, Marcus Cousins, the needle movers. Um, how would you feel I, if, like, if... If Harkless played at last year's level or two years ago's level, how would you feel if we just kept the team and Mo Harkless stepped up? You don't think that's possible, or I don't think that move gets us anywhere. That gets us to last year. That gets us. I don't know. Like, forty-four wins, forty-five wins. That's that doesn't that doesn't tickle my fancy, Sage. This should be a fifty-win team, but it isn't. I saw I saw the Blazers with everybody, even the coach. Torn ACL, torn Achilles, bum shoulder, you know, heel, wrist, whatever. That was the year when Nate McMillan, you know, tore his Achilles in practice because we were running out of players. I think Prisbilla got dinged up. Odin was out. Brandon Roy got was playing on half of a knee. Uh, we had to bring in Marcus Camby, and we still pushed the Suns that went to the Western Conference Finals that year to six games. We still won fifty games. But so, I mean, you you mentioned a bunch of vets. Like Marcus Canby's, but I'm been- saying like, yeah, but like, we have players that should be playing better. So do you think it's Bottom like line. a player thing about not being motivated, or Terry not motivating? I think just like this, this world, it's, it's very rarely black or white. There's always a little gray. Oh, I definitely, th- I I agree, but man, it's tough for me as a person struggling to like live. For having other adults who are making millions be unmotivated to play, to do their profession, it's like, damn, I know, I get it, but like, damn, you're adults making millions of dollars playing a a kid's game. I would, if I, if I had that, I would be motivated, but like, again, it's, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with it in two different, you know, I see DeMarcus be unmotivated and he's going to make 30 million dollars next year our most we called it last year probably our most valuable player Yusuf Nurkic has motivational problems I, I wouldn't say he doesn't try but there's a difference between motivated Nurk and regular oh, Nurk, yeah, and the, everyone the, the has Nurk seen that it. goes against Joel Embiid versus the Nurk that goes against Miles Plumley. there's a humongous exactly. difference there's a huge difference and I think at a certain point, a coach is a coach, but 
if there's not something inside that player to tap into or to turn on the switch, no coach is going to get that out of that player. You can't tell me that Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich could have turned Darius Miles into an all-world player. He just didn't want mm-hmm. it. He was cool just, you know, skating by on and his winning talent. And winning, like, 41 games. Nah, he never won that much in Portland. <laughs> we won way fewer than that shit. But I, I just think Portland would be – if we really want to compete, and that's what I loved about that that 2010 Blazer team. We had Andre Miller, Marcus Camby, you know – L.A. was huge that year. I think he won Western Conference Player of the Month in February. He was a, he was a beast. We had guys that just wanted it. I, think, I believe that was Wesley's first year as well. Yeah, you're not going to tell um, Wesley Matthews to play hard. You're not going to tell Taj Gibson to play hard. They That's instinctive. And, excuse me, I think Wes came the year after. But e- either way, we had guys on that team. That just wanted it more. And we saw with the Blazers, there was no rhyme or reason they should have won that 45 games when they were predicted to win 26. What was what was the what was the factor? It was all intangibles. They just wanted it more. Motivation. They had a chip on their shoulder. So for me with, with this Blazer team, you have to find guys that have been slided maybe a little bit. You gotta find the, the underdogs. I mean, Portland is an underdog city. We're, you know, smaller than Seattle, smaller than San Francisco. We only have one professional sporting team of the, of the big four. We're, we've always been an underdog. Sage, I was watching an old finals game. It was game four of the 92 finals, Blazers and Bulls, over the weekend. We were in the finals, mind you. It was Drexler and Jordan. Like, everyone had wanted this matchup. They, they as the announcers, were dogging us the entire fucking game. Just Backhanded compliment after cheap shot, you know, after just whiners, complainers, not smart, can't play in the half court. I mean, and then the Bulls would make a mistake and it was, you know, they would just write it off. Portland came back, just killed them defensively. And it was very little to do. I mean, we have always, bottom line, we've always been the underdog. We need to start finding players that embody that. The young Damari Carroll's. Exactly. And I, I think Shabazz Napier, why I love him so much, he embodies yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. He's, a, he's a short guy who probably took his lumps on, on, on the playground and growing up and at UConn, like he drives fearless to the hoop. You know he's not scared of shit out there on the basketball court, and he plays with the same swagger as a guy like Damon CJ. They're not afraid to mix it up. And if you have to pay a little bit extra for those guys, I think it's gonna pay off in the long run because you're gonna build a strong culture of guys who just aren't going to take shit, who aren't going to fold over and, and lose games at Atlanta. But looking ahead, the halfway point of the season will occur on this road trip. And the Blazers, by way of Denver's loss in Golden State tonight, are now uh, just a half game behind the Oklahoma City Thunder for fifth out west. And two games back in the last column of the Timberwolves for fourth, and that would mean home court advantage. They see both teams on this road trip. Sage, if I'm looking at the standings, I would bet a lot of money that one, two, and three ends up Golden State, Houston, and San Antonio in that order. With those locked in, what would be your preferred seed? Damn it, I was about to ask you. I was going to ask you who your preferred matchup was going to be. Well, that kind of... Uh, 
because I think it comes with a caveat. I think Spurs would want, be one. Yeah, do you want home court advantage, but then no, you have to play the Warriors in round two? Or do you want to take your chance against Houston or San Antonio? I don't know if we'll end Spurs, up four. I don't think Minnesota's anything special, to be Oh, I don't think so either, but I, I could see Oklahoma City going on a run and t- overtaking. Didn't they go on a run and then just lose to Phoenix? Hey, man, we they have to deal. They have to deal with that Paul George drama every day in the media. Hey, that shit is fucking taxing to deal with. Carmelo Anthony is not getting any younger. My preferred seating would be San Antonio, Houston. Here's the here's the difficult one. If we're assuming we're playing Minnesota in Golden State. I kind of want that excuse where it's like, I think it'd be worse to lose to Minnesota than it would be to lose to Golden State, because then we have that built-in excuse like, yeah, but we lost to Golden State, but that's the best team in the in, ever. If we lost to Minnesota, that shit would suck. So I would go San Antonio, Houston, Golden State, and Minnesota for my matchup. I won do not want to play the Warriors again unless it's in the conference finals. There's too many Bay Area fans that live close to here. They're just like the Laker fans of a few years ago. They buy tickets and it's obnoxious. We've already played them two years in a row and the games haven't been that competitive. So I'm ready for another matchup. I don't want to see Houston either because you know it's going to be a flop fest with, with Harden and Paul. Uh, you, you just already know you're in for six or seven games of that bullshit. I would stay away from four and five just because I don't want to play Golden State again until the conference finals. I, I think if you're, if you're a smart team and you're looking at seeding, six is the spot you want to be in. Because you play the, the Spurs Antonio first. Spurs, Kawhi Leonard is out again with a a partial tear in his, I think it's his left shoulder. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's going to be right. I mean, we're already in January. The playoffs would start in three months. Those shoulder injuries, as Nick Batum can attest to, are lingering sons of bitches. And it hurts because you use your shoulder in every position. You stick your shoulders out to play defense. You elevate your shoulders up vertically to go for blocks and steals. Uh, you use them to shoot, you use them to drive, pass. layups, dunks, pass. You do everything with your shoulders in the game of basketball. And as we saw, LaMarcus Aldridge cannot carry a team. I don't give a fuck that he had 30 points and 14 rebounds. When he went to the line in the fourth quarter, we all knew he was going to miss at least one. Well, he did us even better. He missed them both. As soon as he got the ball with the game on the line with the chance to win, you can ask Olga this. I'll tell anyone who will believe me. I yelled, that ain't going to make it. Even before he let it go, there was no chance in the fucking world that shot was going to go in. And you know what? He almost fucking airballed It looked that. like an Aminu last year shot right there, bro. It looked, it looked exactly like Aminu. And you know the scary part? That shot Dame hit against Houston we were going to try to run that play. Terry Stotts was going to run the play for fucking LaMarcus Aldridge with Dwight Howard on him on the baseline about 20 feet extended. Thank God Damian Lillard took matters into his own hands and Nick Batum was smart enough to pass him that basketball because otherwise we would have been looking at one of the biggest choke jobs in Blazers history. Sorry, LaMarcus gets me riled up and I would love to battle the Spurs because they're not the same Spurs. 
I, I don't I know they've got the best coach in the game, but coaching can only go so far. That team when we played them, they they didn't really scare me. Manu is not gonna get twenty six points again this season. <laughs> yeah. So who would be number two? Who would be number two? I think I would probably go Minnesota because I I think you want to finish strong and at least get the four or five seed. I think finishing around seven would would, would feel very treadmill in a sense of we can't even get into home court advantage conversations. And I think it would be, I think the ultimate goal championship, duh. But if you can get back to the second round for you know the third time in six seasons or five seasons, excuse me, you that's that's not too bad. So that would be an accomplishment. And even if you do got to face the Warriors, you know, so be it. Number three, Rockets as uh, the 7-2 matchup. Um, I don't really like that matchup for Portland just because of the way Houston plays. Feels like we could get caught up into a three-point shooting competition. And we do poorly in games where the free throw discrepancy is severely against us. And then obviously, what, what about, like, adjustments? Because I think a D'Antoni scheme is a bitch and a half to play four times a year spread out. But what about when we look at this team and can concentrate? We might get blown out the first game, but we make adjustments and make more adjustments. Do you think with Harden and Paul's ability to disappear in games, the fact that we can diagnose scheme better, I could see a team beating them if they studied up for that matchup. Oh, they're def- they're definitely a team built for the regular season, but I still think they have much more talent than we do. And if we like to go small with Damon CJ in the backcourt, we can only hide one of those guys. And I'm not saying that, that, you know, Dame's had a better year defensively, but there's no Wes Matthews. There's no Nick Batum coming through that door to defend James Harden and make his life a living nightmare. Yeah, you could put Aminu on him and stretches, but then, you know, Aminu plays a lot of four for us. Are you really going to try and hide a guard on, you know, a Ryan Anderson or a Trevor Ariza? I mean, yeah, it might work in stretches, but I just worry that we won't have an answer for Harden. And that's just going to be a lot of free for free throw attempts. I don't want to subject myself to watching that type of basketball. Um, Do you think the, the Spurs season. will beat them this year if it goes chalk? Do you think? Mm, that's tough. It depends on Kawhi's Kawhi's health. If if Kawhi's healthy, yes. If Kawhi's not, no. But but lastly, I don't want to see the Warriors. I would publicly root for Portland to lose games if we are going if it's if it's between the eighth and the ninth seed. I don't want to play the. It's just a sweep. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. I I want nothing to do with it. So at least we agreed on uh, one. I just, yeah, I mean, like, I, th- I think Portland could g- genuinely upset the Spurs. I mean, if we, you asked us this question two months in advance, it could be completely different just because of how the game is in regards to injuries and stuff. But right now, but as, as is, yeah, it's it has to be the Spurs is the most desirable. Just because I think our backcourt has a chance to to shine, yeah, and they do not have a dominant presence down low on the defensive end. Pau Gasol is not really scaring anyone out of that paint. So again, it depends on what type of Nurkic you get. But, you know, speaking of of Nurk, he had 17 and 13 against that that Spurs team on 7 to 15 shooting. Do 
I think this is the biggest question of the season in maybe a f- I would say at least a good three to five year franchise altering decision, maybe longer. Has he changed your opinion nope. from since last nope. week as nope. to nope. what nope. you would do? So you would still move yeah. him? Depending on what yeah. it is. I, Again, I'm not gonna move yeah. him for fucking Dwayne Deadman. Okay, but let's but let's say nothing comes on the market and a team puts an offer out to him. What's what's your limit right now that you're willing to say yes or no per year on a per year basis? Seventeen and a half? Eighteen? Ooh shit, you'd go that high. I don't know. I would not feel I'd have buyer's remorse the second I did it. I'd feel more much more comfortable at fifteen. Well I'm trying to think, like, what did Mason Plumley get? And got like fourteen. Okay, because I assumed it was fifteen. So I gave him that two extra million. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. It it'll be really tough. How much do you but... think Neil would pay? Depends what Uncle Paul's. I mean, Neil's only as good as his owner. Neil can say all he wants that he wants to match, 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 but it's not his money. So it's what would Neil and Paul. Um, I think Paul's probably getting a little antsy. He wants to see some W's. And Sage, are we going to see any W's on this upcoming road trip? Um, we've got the Thunder, the Rockets, the Pelicans, and the Timberwolves. Of those games, you said New Orleans is the most winnable, and we're assuming Dame is not playing. What is it about New Orleans? This would be um, not on a back-to-back. What is it about the Pelicans where you think Portland has an an area to attack? New Orleans is one of the most turnover-prone teams in the NBA. With Shabazz Napier, I think we run more. You see Mo Harkless get more minutes. You see Pat Connaughton. And you see Shabazz take it coast-to-coast. When the Pelicans turn it over, which they will do, I want to see fast breaks. They are the worst defensive team when it comes to defending their turnovers in transition. I can tell you so many different stories, but I think the perfect boogie story is he committed a turnover and ran down the court, got the block shot. No one expected him to do that, so all the other Pelicans were, like, jogging. Gentry called the timeout. Because the opposing team got the rebound and scored. He took all of the Pelican players that were in out to prove to Boogie, dude, I got your back. You hustled. I'm going to support you. Next turnover, Boogie was walking all the way back. Their defensive transition is fucking awful. The only time their defense is even okay is when Boogie's out. Uh, what I, Also, what I would do is 1-3 pick and roll with Evan Turner. So, Rondo has been getting taken out of games very quickly because he's a slight, small guy. I don't sub- expect Shabazz Napier to be, be able to box him out, but if Evan Turner can get in his uh, post game and frustrate Alvin Gentry into putting Jameer Nelson in for him, that's a win. Because last time we played the Pelicans, Rondo played really well. He got to wherever the fuck he wanted. And hit some threes. Hit some standstill threes so Dame had to respect him. But if we can pound him in the paint with Evan Turner or Mo Harkless if he decides he's taking that role. I one three pick and roll, get him on to the bit get him onto the wing, have him post up, either get fucking blown by because Rondo doesn't want to guard post defense, or get him to foul trouble. And then once you take Rondo out. 
that offense becomes a lot more vanilla so we can play defense. Um, on the other side, I think we have to move the ball. We have to push and transition. And since Shabazz is in, we actually do it more often. Um, Drew Holiday's been playing probably top three perimeter defense in the NBA. But if we're moving and CJ's not pounding the rock and actually moving, it confuses the Pelicans' defense, and then we can get it to uh, our offense. I mean, Blazer basketball will stop Pelicans' defense. But I, I think the main thing is running in transition, capitalizing off their mistakes, and Noah Vonley actually has to play that game. And if that happens, I think, you know. Yeah, you cannot start off Rukumini on Anthony he, he Davis. Did that, get, that. He did get hurt mid-game in the fourth quarter, like he likes to do. But I think he'll be back. It has to be a Noah Vonley game. He is the only one. Maybe Zach, but Noah actually has, in the past played respectable defense on Anthony Davis. That would be pretty tough ask for Zach Collins. A, a, a rookie he, against... He's so frail. Like He needs to obviously uh, hit, hit the weight room. I, I would not subject him to dealing with Anthony Davis. That, that You're not going to get a good return off of that one. No. But yeah, I mean, again, like with Shabazz, we have to change our approach. With Dame, we were atrocious at, at fast breaking, but now we have to change that shit up. We can't rely on Dame to, you know, five seconds left. With five seconds on the clock and Dame on the floor, we assume that he's going to take that shot. But without him, Pat, Mo, Shabazz, they're all moving, trying to, like, get in position to make that shot. So it's a different, like, it's a. Obviously, we're a better team with Dame, but like the players have to play in a different, more intelligent way without him. So you said New Orleans is the most winnable. What's the game where it would take a miracle for Portland to pull out the W? Maybe the Thunder without Dame? Just because they can punish us. And uh, if you go back to that game back on November 5th when Portland won 103-99, that was the game Carmelo Anthony got ejected for throwing the elbow. Um, you and I, I were both there. That connect- yes, that connected with Yusuf Nurkic. Um, Damian Lillard, as he always does against the Oklahoma City Thunder, had his way. 37 minutes, 10 of 18 from the field, 36 points, 13 assists, 5 boards, 15 for 15 at the line, uh, completely outplayed Russell Westbrook. Russ does had, not play uh, um, well in the Rose Garden, bro. No, and he also doesn't play well against Lillard, even in even in OKC. So I think that it has to be a loss without Dame. I, I would be completely baffled if we were able to neutralize uh, Westbrook, because the reason we play so well against Westbrook is he gets caught up in that individual matchup mm-hmm. and tries to out Dame Dame. And that just doesn't work. I mean, Dame, he can get erratic with the shot, but for the most part, he reels it in. When, when Westbrook goes off the rail, you're not bringing him back. So I think if Portland is going to win, Shabazz is going to have to kind of get into that same mindset of getting to the line early and often making it happen for others but this is a game where Portland needs to pack the paint. I'll live with Andre Robertson. I'll live with Carmelo, Paul George, Patrick Patterson, Russell, 
all those dudes shooting threes. Mm-hmm. But at the end, without Dame, I don't think we're going to have enough firepower. Probably might look a lot like the Cavaliers game where it's a close game going into the fourth quarter, but then OKC kind of um, opens it up. Uh, a, a game that I think is really winnable, though, is that Minnesota game to end the trip. It's not on a back-to-back, and we played there less than a month ago on December 18th and lost 108-107. I believe there was a controversial call at the end of that one where Dame uh, again went to the to the basket oh, yeah, the did not get f- yeah. did not get the whistle. Um it was the the resurrection of Jamal Crawford because it seems like he only you know comes out to play uh, against the Portland Trailblazers. He had 23 points on 16 attempts and Portland did not do a great job on Jimmy Butler. He had 37. Yeah, it was the old vets. I mean, with Jimmy, like, the last time we talked about him, he was trying to, like, find his way in the offense. Now Jimmy Butler is the number one option on that team. He was deferring a lot to Wiggins. Now it's like, he definitively knows he is the best perimeter player. So he's not deferring to Wiggins. It's him and Cat, 1A and B. And that's a game where Baz, again, kept us in it. He had 15 points on just 6 of 8 shooting. Ed Davis was close to a double-double, 10-7. and seven. Uh, Nurk, you mentioned, was very aggressive early on, 20-7, uh, and seven, an incredibly efficient 9-12 of 12 shooting. So I think Portland, you say New Orleans is the most winnable. I think it might be this Minnesota game just because of how well we played them last time. And yes, I know Dame had 17 and 13 and 8, which is incredible, but he only shot 7 of 18. So it wasn't like he was uh, lights out carrying us carrying us to victory. I don't expect Shabazz to pull down 8 rebounds, but he can distribute the basketball. And by all we know, Dame could be back by then. It is the last game of the trip. But for whatever reason, I have the best feeling about this one just because I think Shabazz can really exploit Jeff Teague. If he even plays, it might be Tyus Jones. That's true. Um, which is two really water bug point guards going at one another. Both are extremely quick, herky jerky, and can make things happen in the paint for their teammates. Uh, the last game we have not talked about is the Houston Rockets. James Harden is out with a hamstring injury, and they picked up, like we talked about last episode, Gerald Green. From Houston, he has came in and provided instant offense. Like you mentioned, D'Antoni, they are a regular season team. They have a system. I mean, they it's a different system than the Spurs, but it is a system. Nonetheless, you get players who can get to the foul line, get to the paint, and you surround them with, with you know shooters on the perimeter. And I think without Harden, obviously, Portland is at an advantage. That, that is a huge, huge loss for the Houston Rockets, a team that at one time was leading the Western Conference, but now I believe they're just 3-7 and seven in, in their last 10, and that includes a victory tonight in Chicago over the Bulls. But Sage, when Chris Paul goes out, who's going to be distributing the ball? How can Portland take advantage? Because we'll be without one of our primary ball handlers as well, and Damian Lillard, um, to be as, as we are assuming. Isn't it Briante Weber? He's mm-hmm. their backup point guard. They brought him in. I like him. He's a, like a he's kind of a quick point guard. Um, when I, I think I saw them play. I think it was the Warriors. He played with a ton of energy. I don't know if mm-hmm. he can sustain it for an entire game, but he was 
you know, when you get, you know, you know when you uh, play play ball and you get into a game and you make a good play, and then you're you're just you know animated on defense. You're slapping the you know the hardwood Duke style, like you're all up in a guy trying to pick him up ninety four feet, and you're just you hit that 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 turbo button, and you you can go for a little bit, but I want to know how much turbo you know endurance he's got because if well, he, he brings it like that, it, it could be tough. I mean, he doesn't have to. I mean, shit, he has like the. One but of the they best. can't rely on Chris Paul to play heavy minutes because you know they're watching his minutes regardless. Mm. I mean, Briante, I mean, shit. If it's Eric Gordon, it yo, we have to be fucking pressing him. Because I, uh, Eric has to be their third ball handler since James is out, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, and God, this was... that, that's, that's fucking lunch meat. Get fucking Mo Harkless in. Tell him to make his life miserable. I mean, Eric Gordon has played so much better in Houston than he did in New Orleans, but Duke can't fucking dribble. Fucking press him. Make his life living hell. And for Portland, yes, we had Lillard. But back on um, December 9th, we blew a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Houston outscored us 40-19. to That was the night Harden put up 48. Chris Ball had 26 and 7 assists you know, of his own. And... Portland's going to be missing 35 points they got from Damian Lillard. Yeah, Houston's going to be missing James Harden as well. So it's almost going to be like the Spurs game, except we're going to be on the road, which where we felt more comfortable this year. So I expect this one to be a, a close contest. Um, it is going to be a back-to-back. Portland does have the benefit of – they do have a deep roster. It may not be a deep roster of all incredible players, but I think you've got a deep roster of capable guys, as Mo Harkless has shown that can come in when called upon. I think it's just going to be imperative to really watch that three-point line. And without Harden, I don't think you have to worry about free throws quite as much. So I would look for them to see what they can do with Chris Paul. Chris Paul has always given a Terry Stotts defense kind of havoc. So if he's going to be on a minutes restriction and they're not going to want to go at him heavy, I would love to see Portland maybe trap him, pick him up full court, uh, do what they can to just make him work extra. Who's ever guarding him or whoever he is guarding on, on defense, Portland needs to just run them. That player needs to run and be active and just kind of wear them out because he's not going to have the energy that he used to have to orchestrate the offense like the maestro. This, I I was having a conversation with, I don't even know if I can say friend of the show, but Neela, and I was talking about the player that I've enjoyed the most, like who who is the player that's been in a Blazers uniform that you've had the most joy watching? We'll end the show off this. I mean, obviously the early '90s Blazers, Drexler, Kersey, Porter. I mean, I, nobody will ever give me more enjoyment than those teams. That's what I grew up on. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're the reason. Add in Cliffy and and, and Buck. And Duck, I mean, those guys are the reasons I'm a Blazer fan today. So who is, is it Drexler? Is he the number it's one? It's the whole squad. Drexler and Kersey. Okay. The only player that's came close is Dame. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, unless Dame delivers us a title, nobody will ever replace that team. Who I said gave me the most joy having him on my team. He pissed Nila off and it's going to piss a lot of people off, but it's Chris Paul. Really? Chris Paul has given me the most joy watching any player, including Anthony Davis, who I love. But it's been it's it's a Chris Paul. It's Chris Paul for me. I, I guess. Well, I just 
I just feel like he's. I feel like there's there's more he could have provided. Like I think he's a Hall of Fame lock, but he feels to me like the Dominique Wilkins of point guard. Like he's just really good, but there's always someone better. You know that that could be said for Clyde Drexler too. Shit, but you know at least we got to the finals. Sorry, I just I just really hate I really hate you got to the Western Conference semis, not even the conference finals. Sorry, I just I don't like Chris Paul, so I'm talking shit. Uh, what do you think? What do you think the record on the road trip will be? One and three. It might not be New Orleans. The most Blazer thing to do is beat th- the fucking Thunder and then lose every other game. I think we definitely win one. If you had to, if I had to say which one we lose, I'm gonna say New Orleans because they have they they're reeling just as much as we are. I really want to say two and two, but I don't see. A victory with that without Dame. Assuming Dame doesn't play, I, I just think it's wrong place, wrong time. Now, the good news for Blazer fans is the month really lightens up after this trip. You get Phoenix, Indiana, Dallas at home, at Denver. You get Minnesota again at home, at Dallas, at the Clippers, and the Chicago Bulls. There's maybe only one or two games in that stretch where I would put Portland as the yeah, underdog. Yeah. So if we go 0-4, look at how we're going 0-4. Are we losing by 25 every night, or are they coming down to the wire? And you could realistically say, man, had we had our superstar, we'd probably win that game. Because the way the Western Conference is shaping out this year is 43-45 wins may get you the 6th or 5th seed. Everyone's playing inconsistent basketball. And we're 21-18. That would put us at 21-22. And I know it's easy to say now because even after you lose like two in a row, if you lose four in a row, it seems like everyone's calling for everyone's head. And I, I you know, I, we're each guilty of, of doing that as well. But again, it's the way you lose. Are you losing like you did against the Hawks or are you losing like you did, you know, against the Spurs at home when, when CJ's jumper just didn't go in? So there are different ways in which you can lose. So but what would be the two most the two most winnable games no, for me? No, the, the two least winnable games is what's going to happen, oh. Nick. <laughs> well, definitely. I, I see no way we beat the Thunder. And I'll still say... Oof, that's tough. I'll still say the Rockets. So we're beating the Rockets and the, uh, and the Thunder and no. losing to the Pelicans and the uh, Timberwolves. So the reason I worry about the Rockets is because there's no James Harden. And our team plays best when they're, it feels like they're challenged by a full squad. Um, I just like how we've played against Minnesota this year. And I'll take your word on the Pelicans, even though that game kind of scares the shit out of me. I'm almost willing to say the Pelicans game will be tougher than Houston. Actually, yes, I, I switched that around. The Pelicans and the Thunder are the games I do not see us winning. We have no answer for Anthony Davis because you know Terry Stotts will not play Noah Vonley. And uh, Boogie Cousins has ate us alive since moving to New Orleans, even last year. Fair enough. Do you want to wrap this bad boy up? It's been, shit, hour. Is it only an hour? Hour, Oh yeah, my we, god, Dag, what the fuck? We, we're getting efficient in this <laughs> bitch. Fuck that, inefficiencies. I like it. 
All right. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX. Uh, leave us uh, a comment. Give us that five-star rating. Uh, subscribe to get it as soon as it is released by my man Sage. Uh, also, you can find us on social, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Holy Backboard. If you have uh, anything, just, you know, holler at us. I am going to be streaming live with Stupendous tomorrow and, uh, from 9 to midnight. So if you want to hear me yell at one of our good friends about not playing good enough defense, check it out on Mixer.com slash Stupendous. I want that GM stream coming Yeah, man. I'll, I'm, I'm trying, man. You know, I'm trying to, I'm tr- also trying to, you know, be part of that e-league and shit. So, but yeah, I definitely got that. So that's coming this week for sure. But, uh, yeah, great show. Um, see you next week. Let's go, Blazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Hey, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.